This show is a part of the FM Podcast Network. Visit us at fmpods.com. When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Our conversation was short and sweet. It nearly swept me off of my feet. And I'm back in the rain. Oh, oh, and you are on dry land. You made it there somehow. You're a big girl now. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, now part of the FM Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly. And joining us this week to talk about You're a Big Girl Now, of course, from 1975's Blood on the Tracks, is returning Bobcat, Amanda Marchese. Hi, Amanda. Welcome back. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Absolutely. It's been almost two years since you were on the show last. It's so, been too long. Yeah, it's been way <laughs> too long. So I'm so happy to have you back on the show. We've been talking about doing this one for a long time. Amazingly, you know, we're 255 episodes into Pod Dylan, and there was still one Blood on the Track song left, left to be covered. <laughs> Which is just kind of amazing. I mean, we're recovering songs now, but still, we have not gotten to You're a Big Girl Now yet, which is, again, sort of amazing when you consider how uh, yeah. huge Blood on the Tracks looms in the man's career. I'm surprised. I'm kind of surprised that this one was left over because of all the songs that I could have chosen. And I said that and you're like, no, I haven't done that. And it's like, whoa, yeah. really? Unbelievable. But uh, so, yeah, we're going to we're going to be talking about this absolutely fantastic song. So before we get to the song. Uh, specifically, I just want to ask you, like in general, I mean, you're, you're, you're a music journalist, you're like a music expert. What, how does Blood on the Tracks figure in your mind in terms of albums, in terms of Bob albums, and where is it for you? It's, it's definitely a top five album in general for me. It's one of those ones that you can put on and listen to front to back. There's not a bad song on it. I'm sure that's, you know, debated by other people, but that's my personal opinion. Bob albums, it's it's my favorite. Mm. I it but it I don't even want to say that. Like I hate declaring a favorite song or album or anything because <laughs> my mood changes and then I sure. want something else. So uh, under most circumstances, it's it's my number 1. That's uh, me too. Me too, you know. I mean, it's, you're right. It's it's not a so like do I listen to it more than other albums? Probably not. Yeah. If, if someone said to me, what is probably the pinnacle of his career? I would point to this. I would say, this, I is, agree. this is it. This is it. So yeah, I mean, it said it's, and, and this song in particular, I, I, you know, I went, of course, in preparation for this episode and went on a, you know, binge of listening to it over and over again and all the myriad mm-hmm. versions of it. And like, there's like six alternates yep. on that more blood, uh, more, more tracks set. But one of the things I, I found. When listening to it all over again, and, and this is, you know, I a lot of times I'm not thinking of the songs in this sort of context until I realize I'm doing an episode on it. Because now I'm like, all right, well, what what do I want to say about it? Right. And I realized that this song, a lot of the quote unquote meaning I get from it doesn't come from anything I can point to and put into words, which is a bit of a problem because this is a podcast. But <laughs> but <laughs> but nevertheless, it's like I like the first two songs, Tangled Up in Blue. And simple twist of feet, of course. They're story songs. They're right. they're you know, very clearly linear story songs with a beginning, middle, and end. This right. one, 
And I'm interested what, you know, of course, what you think about, but to me, this one is not that. This is a, a very distinct break from that where it is, I don't want to say just, but it is a series of images and feelings that don't have any sort of linear sense and in a lot of ways can be moved around. Yeah. Kind of. And it really wouldn't matter. And it wouldn't, I don't think it would reduce the effectiveness of the song. No, no. And I think, and I, and I, I looked it up because I wanted to see if anybody had ever asked Bob Dylan what, you know, this song was about because people tend to assume that this was about, you know, his, his marriage sure. and, and trouble there. And he actually got very indignant about it. Like he yes. said, why, why do you think that I have to assign an emotion to everything? Like he was very specific. He's like, no, not what it's about. Did he tell anybody what it was about? Not that I read. But he declares <laughs> it was not about, you know, uh, a trouble in his marriage or anything like that. And I actually chose this for my father daughter dance with my dad at my first wedding because I've been married wow, twice. Wow. Um, really? And my second one was a Bob Dylan song too, but we're, we'll get to that one in another episode. <laughs> um, but, but if, if you listen to the lyrics to me and, and, and when I chose it, it sounds like somebody, you know, talking to somebody that maybe they're not sure that you're making the right decision about something, but you know, well, you got through all this, you're a big girl now. And you know, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with where you're at and what you're doing and the decisions that you're making, but you've gotten there on your own and you're a big girl now. And that's just kind of the feeling that I got from it. I never thought that it was like a doomed romance song that just didn't, it, doesn't come across to me like that. And I could be very wrong, but that was my feeling on it. That's that amazing. I I, I've never thought of it like that. I, that has never occurred to me before. That's a really, yeah. that's a really interesting idea. That I just, <laughs> it just, when I listen to it, I just don't hear the like, you know, drippy, you know, sad man thing going on i see i hear somebody that's that's you know they don't really know what they think about this situation but they're talking to somebody and it could be a girlfriend or a wife or a daughter or a friend and they're just trying to tell them like you know you made your decision you're a big girl now and i'm you know i'm here to see you through it good for you huh. this pump that's <laughs> that's really interesting i guess i mean not to be i'm gonna be so boring here i yeah. have always thought of it as a relationship song but part of it is First of all, let me give the context of it. This was one of the songs that Bob decided to redo uh, when yeah. he when he left from New York and he went to Minneapolis, and and it's the it's that version with the Minneapolis band yeah. uh, that was cut that ends up on the record. And just to give these people credit, I want to mention it's on guitars. You've got Kevin Odegaard and Chris Weber, Greg Inoffer on piano, and Billy Berg on drums. And not that again, not that the previous two songs on the record don't have uh, instrumental lead-ins it's it's not like idiot wind which bang starts immediately with him yeah. singing but there's something about absolutely gorgeous melody mm -hmm. that opens this song and i'll tell you this is this is what i've pictured for this almost since the very first time i heard this song this is and it's as i've mentioned on other episodes sometimes you you get an idea and it lodges in your head and that's yep. it it's never leaving <laughs> even if bob dylan could come over <laughs> and be like, Rob, secretly, this is what it's about. It's really about Amanda was right. It's really about this. <laughs> and I'd be like, doesn't matter, Bob, but this is what I hear. <laughs> but in but when I listen to the lyrics of the song, I picture a guy 
who, because, you know, obviously we know Blood on the Tracks, all these songs move back and forth in time, even mm-hmm. the linear ones, even the story songs, they, they go back and forth. But this in particular, you don't really get a sense of what, at what stage of the relationship this is happening. It seems to be sometime, some of the verses seem to be post the relationship. Some of the verses seem to be in the middle of the relationship. He's bopping back and forth. But to me, there's something about that, that instrumental lead in that I conjure this image of a guy in a house all by himself. And he is either one of two things. He is either preparing what he's going to say to his partner who is going to be meeting with them soon. And it's going to be the conversation and -hmm. he's rehearsing in his head and he's casting out ideas because some of the, some of the verses here are very sweet and very kind. And then other ones are a little more spiteful and a little nastier. And to me, that's sometimes, you know, conversation can go like that where you, you start off on a high plane and then it descends very quickly. Oh, into, I like this idea. No, you know, this is bitter, good. Yeah, bitter recrimination. And you're like, Shit, why did I? No, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. Yeah. That kind of thing. And then, or that this is, and it could be both, post that conversation. And he is rerunning all the stuff that he said and is kind of like, oh, uh, all right. <laughs> I didn't. That was not the way. That did not go the way I thought it would go. Because we have all been there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. Yeah. Because, I mean, and I love the, almost every verse opens with a line that is, if it's not necessarily a cliche, it's a kind of phrase from, you know, our culture that he's borrowing for, for this song. I mean, the second verse, burn on horizon, sitting on a fence, He's singing a song for me at his own expense, which I love. He's singing a song for me at his own expense. Mm-hmm. It's just so mm-hmm. beautifully sad. And I'm just like that bird. Oh, singing just for you. I hope that you can hear, hear me singing through these tears. And then the next one, and I love this. Time is a jet plane. It moves too fast. Oh, but what a shame if all we've shared can't last. This record, like a lot of Dylan songs, but this record in particular, I feel like you can never quite get a sense of what time period any of this is happening in. Nope. You know, you certainly get Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts feels like an old West song, but the yeah. use of a jet plane to me immediately puts it in modern day. Like it, there's this modern contrivance in the middle. And it, to me, it always sticks out in a good way, but it's like, Oh, now we're, he's the, the, the singer is living in 1975 because there's jet planes. This is a right. modern thing. This is like you talked about that quote from Bob where he's like, it's not necessarily about my life, but I can't help but think, well, you know, Bob Dylan's a guy that's been on a lot of jet planes because he's going from yeah. concert to concert to concert. And that's probably not helped his relationship very much. No, no. But I mean, even that, it's a very relatable thing. Like, even if you're standing on the ground watching a jet plane mm-hmm. go by, you know, it's still, it's a, it's a, it's a visual that you can attach to that. There was yeah. an, oh, I can't remember. And I'm having a total brain fart right now, but there's a line in it that I read he got from a movie. Oh, yeah. The uh, love is so simple. Yes. To quote, to quote a, phrase, a phrase, it's from, uh, where, where I have it down here. It's from, Children of Paradise, yes. one of one of Bob's favorite movies. The line is, "You are right, Garant's love is so simple." Yeah, and it was Nor- it was Dylan's painting teacher Norman Rabin that introduced him to the film before he wrote the song. And of course, that's the film, presumably, that he took the face makeup from for Rolling Thunder. 
because yes. there's somebody in that. So yeah, that that film obviously really landed on him when he saw it. And I've never seen that either. And then I have I, not. I, I now I feel like I have to look it up because I little little bits of Bob keep going back to it. And this was just another one when I was researching this because I've as long as I've known this song and I know this song inside and out, I could sing it and it would be really bad, but I could do it. The I I just didn't. I didn't really know that much about it. I never bothered to look it up and be like, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe he is specifically thinking about something romantic. And, and I was so happy when I read that he was so, he was so defiant. Like, no, why do you think that? And I'm like, yes, yes. Thank you, Bob. (laughs) What is your personal, what is your personal opinion about men referring to women as girls just in general i know some women that don't don't like it and other women are not bothered by it, but is it do you, do you always get do you have a little like mm, bob right. no no honestly that's not anything that that ever bothered me and i refer to myself as a broad half the time so right. i'm and it's like <laughs> there's you're there's a big many, broad now and you're, you're, you're a big broad now but <laughs> But no, that that kind of thing doesn't bother me. I mean, I, there's there's words that people genuinely hate that I think have some kind of a you know a use either historically or musically or you know they 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 serve a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not talking about bad words. I'm talking about right, you know right. descriptives and and words like girl does they don't bother me. Gotcha. That's that's not something I think is derogatory. Gotcha. So in that that phrase that we just, the uh, verse we just mentioned, the love is so simple. The quote a phrase you've known all the time, learned it these days. There is immediately following that he says, "Oh, I know where I can find you. Oh, oh, in somebody's room. It's a price I have to pay. You're a big girl all the way." Now that that line, the in somebody's room, um, I feel like across this record there is not. A lot. There are not a lot of references to infidelity of the partner. There's mention. Mm-hmm. There's there's mentions of of the singer's infidelity, or right. presumed infidelity. I mean, with meet me in the morning and stuff like that. But in or call letter blues actually with the uh, you know bar girls and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. there isn't a whole lot of. And luckily, I think that may, would it would make the album a little harder to take if he was constantly <laughs> sort of spitting invective at the partner and accusing them of being <laughs> you know unfaithful but what do you think of that line but in somebody's room do you take that as you know i mean you've already talked about how you feel but like to me that line suggests you're off with somebody else you're in somebody's room yeah i don't i don't really know and and that's the one part of the song where i'm like ah you know i can see it i can see Mm -hmm. it because they i they feel like they're a little bit i don't want to say if they're bitter or if they're just sore about it you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That's okay. the one spot in the song, honestly, where I'm like, yeah, it, it can go that way. And it, it, it feels, um, I don't know. It feels like, it feels like he's, he's a little sore. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, that's why I feel like this song is able to so beautifully get him bop back and forth between all the emotions. And that's yes. you know, like some one verse, he's a little nicer and another verse, not so much. And again, in somebody's room, it somebody's room that could mean anything. It could be yeah. a, a friend. It could be, it could, it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean like a bedroom. It could just be, you're not here. Right. Not I here. took it to mean like you're, you're not home. Yeah. You're not home where I am. Right. And exactly. I guess right. That's- yeah. You know, I'm, I'm here and you're, I, I know you're somewhere else and I have to just, you know, accept that that's the way it is now. 
Yeah. Um, and then the, uh, one other thing I, I, I love about this particular, uh, take, the one that's, uh, the, you know, the, the album take is that when he says, I know where I can find you. Oh, oh, the O's that yes. he puts in this song. And we just mentioned that on the previous episode where, where we talked about, I believe in you, where he proceeds lines with the, you know, Oh, he, he, I'm mean, <laughs> sorry to do that twice, uh, nope. twice in a row on the show here, everybody, <laughs> but. On the other takes, all the other takes, at least the ones from New York that we've now heard, he doesn't do that. He goes, mm, he hums it. Mm-hmm. He says, mm, and he, to me, there's something so wonderfully vulnerable about just making this sort of guttural sound of just this yeah. kind of wail. Of, oh, that kind yeah. of, and I keep apologizing, but I'm so sorry that I do that <laughs> on the mic. But there's something so wonderfully vulnerable about that of just making that sound and just feeling he's like a wounded dog or something. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he's really pondering all of this internally and just for a moment, letting it out because whatever it is that he's dealing with, it is something that is, is, you know, stirring up in his soul so it's that moment where he's just like oh letting it out and i'm not going to try and do it because i'm already losing my voice but um <laughs> <laughs> i've already tortured everybody enough with me doing it uh and then it's, in the- it's it's definitely it's it's like the emotion is coming out yeah yeah absolutely and then so in the final verse he says a change in the weather is known to be extreme which again another kind of phrase that isn't connected to anything that he's experiencing in the relationship it's a sort of external thing so you've got the bird on the bird on the horizon that love is so simple horses in midstream these Mm -hmm. phrases that are just you know the change there's a change in the weather it's a kind of a worrying about something mundane about the weather oh yeah change in the weather but then what's the sense of changing horses in midstream going out of my mind oh with a pain that stops and starts like a corkscrew to my heart Ever since we've been apart, and there's just that's such a um, yeah, beautiful image, and it's you know it's a it's an ugly one, a corkscrew yes. <laughs> to my heart, and you know I, I feel like when I hear something that specific, that feels like to me that he is the um, Bob in specific, but or the the narrator of the song is sitting in his kitchen and he's jotting all these thoughts down, and he just kind of looks over and he sees the corkscrew, from, you know. A corkscrew is not like a knife either, you know, a knife yes. goes in and out and it's clean, even if it's like a serrated knife, you know, like it's still not as bad as a corkscrew. Like that's very dramatic. <laughs> it's going to hurt extra going in and hurt extra coming out. Exactly. I mean, are you taking the time to like screw that in there or is are you just yanking that out? Like that's that's it's a very, very specifically painful uh, choice of of stabbing item. Yeah, and it's and it's a symbol again. I you know at the risk of reading too much into it, but that's why we're here. It's a symbol to me of domesticity. You know, like a knife. A knife. Yeah. If you put knife in a song, well, knives can be used for you know benign things, but also can be used as as violent tools. And so, it's if you say, oh, it's like a knife in my heart. Like, well, okay, that's that that's something that anyone could say. But a corkscrew is really meant for one thing you know it's just meant yeah. for that one thing it's something that the you know the average person has in their kitchen and so to me it's like that's something that yeah oh me and my partner would have oh remember when we got that bottle of wine and we popped the yeah. cork and it spilled a lot there's just something about that this this common household item that has no 
would never you would never think to have giving it any external meaning has now has this added weight to it that it was it's not meant to carry and that makes it it's almost like oh that goddamn corkscrew <laughs> it's a very domestic item like mm-hmm. you, you you don't have a corkscrew in the car i mean i mean you might if you're right. if that's your thing but uh normally Probably not like, a good idea a cork, a corkscrew is in your kitchen you know like it's a domestic item so even thinking of of doing that to yourself you know even figuratively you're at home and it's a symbol of, of your home and something in your home. So now, you know, obviously you're, you're home, you're dealing with whatever is hurting your heart. And, and that's, you know, that helps to conjure up that image, you know, somebody's pondering all this sitting in their kitchen and there's a corkscrew in the drawer. Yeah. And uh, yes, it's a very extreme stabbing item. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Now, placement wise on this record, uh, I think it's, you know, I mean, again, what a bulletin that to me, there's no flaws on blood on the tracks in terms of song selection and sequencing. Knowing what we know is coming with the, the verbal assault of, of idiot wind (laughs) where he kicks the doors down and just slaps you around for eight minutes and you're like, Oh my God. It, to me, this is so perfectly perfectly placed in that you've got tangled up in blue which is you know again one of the great mm-hmm. single recordings any popular musician has ever managed to accomplish Truth. period uh it's a song that even i have found that even people who do not like bob dylan like that song you know even people that are like yep. uh, i've known people that don't like bob dylan that don't like like a rolling stone but tangled up in blue they go oh yeah that's that's a good one they like, yeah, <laughs> they like yeah that that's that's true that's true i know people like that too yeah there's something about that song that just just gets right through to people yeah resonates. so you've got you know you've got this amazing opening and then okay now we're gonna enter into bottomless misery <laughs> with simple twist of it just you know just such utter melancholy that you're it's you're like in a black hole and oh, it's, it's like, well, okay. Yeah. And it, right. It's exquisite. It's so, <laughs> it's so beautiful. The melancholy is so beautiful, but you're kind of like, okay, where else is there to go from here? Well, you can't really go further down because the, where <laughs> the, you know, then there's no light escaping at all. So no. we kind of, I don't say lightens it up, but I mean, certainly audibly he lightens it up again. I just, the, I find the melody to be so beautiful. Yeah, uh, and calming. It, it's it's and, there's yes. a serenity to it, even though it's it's a painful, you know, pondering song. There's it's it's just got a a gentle way through it, even with his you know guttural wailing. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, the, it's the music beautiful. and the tone and the the mood of that song is just very you know it flows, it ebbs and flows like the water, like it's calm water. It it's it's a it's I don't know. It's such top to bottom beautiful song. Yeah. Like I said, it's a perfect spot for it. You're like, okay, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of getting reoriented a little. Things are a little calmer. And then again, we know what's coming. But it, it, <laughs> I mean, imagine if you had followed Simple Twist of Fate with Idiot Wind. It would just be such a like, whoa, oh, oh yeah. my Lord. But you've got this, as you say, it's very kind of calming, even though he's wait, you know, he's got that wailing that we talked about, but it's, it is, it is kind of like it's a, it's a drink of cool water kind of in the middle of this thing. And, and t- again, like I said, structurally, it, it's fun, not fun. Structurally, it's, it's fun that it's so different and that you've got these two story songs and then you've got this thing, which is just kind of, okay, a series of random thoughts. And again, mm-hmm. we've, we have all been there. We have, yep. and if those of you that have haven't, lucky you. If you've not been there, <laughs> if you've never been there, I mean, give it time. Yeah. 
Oh, oh goodness, Amanda. <laughs> but yeah, that's probably right. That is probably that is probably correct. I, I I'm not gonna go too much for I'm not gonna go too far down this path because, you know, it's a podcast. But sure. like I, I will say there was a moment in my life where I had to have well, okay, let me let me take that back. There's been two times in my life where I've had to have the conversation and they were short and sweet, let's put it that yep. way. But I, I did kind of this. I ran through. I workshopped it in my in my head. Yeah, you have of, to kind of do that. You yeah. have to you have to make like a syllabus, you know, yeah. of, of what <laughs> what am I going to go through and bullet points and I mean just mentally like this is what you have to do. But it's so scattered all over the place when you go through something like that. So it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, I said I one of one of them involved me driving over, and so I had the time in the car, and another one did yep. not. And and again, the line about the it, it opens up with that our conversation was short and sweet. I can again I can remember one of these conversations I had that it was short and sweet, and then I remembered thinking after I left that wow, that's all it took. Yeah, like that that seven minute or whatever it was conversation i just had and that just ended a decade and a half or something you know it, yeah it's and now everything's startling. changed and it only everything's took that changed. little that little snippet yeah and i you know i i think i've said this on every single episode that we've covered a blood on the track song but when i first heard this record when i first got when i was getting into bob and i was buying all the records i could get my hands on you know this was in the 90s so this is mm-hmm. early 90s so this is pre-internet so other than some reading uh, in a book or a magazine that I might have seen, I had no context for what I was going to be hearing. Right. I didn't know anybody. My friend Dan, who I've mentioned on the show a bunch of times, I knew he was into Dylan, but it was before him and I were even really friends. So I had nobody to talk to. So I was just buying these records and just embracing them raw because I had no idea what I was going to get. And I remembered listening to this record and being like, Oh, okay. And like, I, I hadn't had a lot of experience at that point. So a lot of it was academic. I enjoyed the beauty of it. And then years later, I'd had some, as you say, give it time. I had some mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. And I remembered, like, I knew, I knew mentally that, of course, Bob did not write this record for me because I was four years old in 1975. <laughs> but there was some part of me that was like, this is so specific to what I'm going through. He has to know, right? He has to know who I am. Because that, this for me, clearly. That is just the most magical thing about music, though. And I, like my father-in-law likes to say, there's an ass for every seat. Because there is, there is a song for every emotion and for every stage of life and for every weird thing you're going through that in, in the moment might feel like no one else has ever gone through before. But then you mm-hmm. find that there's a song that is just like, man, you get it. You are in my head. You have been here before. And there's something that's so comforting about that. And I feel like, like Bob Dylan has this wonderful catalog that's just full of that. Like if there's an emotion I had, he's probably got a song that covers it. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, there's a very comforting thing about being a fan of, of somebody whose catalog is so large because yeah you know what when i need something and i need somebody to speak to it i can probably count on bob to do it yeah i that again that's part of the reason i think i felt for him so hard was it was like yeah there 
he he's a one-stop shop in a lot yeah. of ways. You know, he's got every single emotion I might feel. And it, and it was, it was, you know, comforting in its own way of like, Oh, here's a guy that went through all this a full 15 years before I'm getting to it. And it was so, and then by that point I'd done some reading and learned that blood on the tracks was so universally, universally loved. It's uh, I think I saw in an interview, Bob said that uh, it's Keith Richards's favorite record of his, which I think is really sort of a funny data point. Yeah. Yeah. He said, he said that's Keith's favorite, but there was, yeah, it was like, Oh, this guy's been through all this same stuff that I'm now experiencing. And, you know, it didn't make going through it any easier no, but it was sort of comforting knowing, okay, yeah. that other people have navigated this. It helps you kind of fall into it, you know, when the day is over and you don't know where to put your brain because you're just dealing with whatever you're dealing with. There's, there is a comfort to being able to park your brain there in, yeah. you know, the, the melody of, of somebody who's, you know, maybe they haven't gone through this, but they're writing about it like they did. So I'm going to park here for now and just feel this and then, you know, neatly file it away. And get on through to the next day. And I'm going to have another problem. And there's probably another Bob song for it. So, <laughs> Well, that that's another amazing thing. Is you found that quote where he kind of mm-hmm. angrily says, this is not yes. about my wife and blah, blah. And then it makes me think, well, okay, if this is not about his wife, it's if it's not about a relationship that he's going through, what the hell was he experiencing that he was able to channel these feelings so effectively in this song? If it wasn't that, my, yeah, my yeah. God. Yeah, yeah. That's, but that's why I always felt like it was, I don't, I don't know. And that's just maybe my, my perception and I'm probably wrong, but I always felt like it was just, it's something else. It's some other kind of like, he's coming to a realization that things are moving along and he can't stay, you know, thing, things don't stay the same. They move along and that's, that's okay, but it, it's hard and it sucks and I'm dealing with it. Time is a jet plane and it moves too fast. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. As I said it, it's, it's un, unbelievable. And so now have you had a chance to listen to many, if any of these, the, the, all the, the like t- eight or nine alternates that got put out on the box set on the more blood, more tracks? I, I have listened to a few. Um, most of which I had not listened to previously. I was listening mm-hmm. to them today. Um, there was one or two that I had heard. So it, it was, it was kind of a new experience. It was a little odd because I, I know this song so well. So t- when you hear, and that's part of being a Bob Dylan fan, cause there's a million versions of everything it feels <laughs> like sometimes, but you know, when you hear those different versions, you kind of just stop and you're like, what well, do I like this? Do I not like this? Like I, am I being, you know, too much of a traditionalist that I like, oh, well, it's not the one I know. But I, I I don't hate them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like lyrically, it seems to be pretty much the same songs. Yeah, you know, despite in contrast to some of the other songs, but she was constantly fiddling with all the way. You know, there's, for every version, there's different words. This one basically retains all the same yeah. ideas. There's some, you know, there's a couple of a little time change. You know, a little one word here and there yeah. where you know he'll change something to a while. Or known it all the time. Like he says, what you've known it all the time. I'm learning it these days. And other versions, he sings, you've known it for a while. I'm yeah. learning it these days. So it's a pretty minor stuff. But yeah, the, the ones in New York are to me, ju- and I feel this way generally about all the versions that are in the New York, but they're just a little too skeletal for my Agreed. tastes, you know? Yeah, yeah. It needs, it needs the, the rest of that to fill it out. Yeah, it does. Uh, it's it's very skinny. 
Yeah. Uh, I think listening to 10 songs of that would have been so, much. yeah, so downbeat that it just would have, you know, like every song at that same kind of tempo, mm-hmm. uh, it would have been like, this is brilliant, but God, it's depressing. You know, like that, <laughs> that kind of thing, you know, like you're just, yeah. oh my Lord. But by adding kind of extra beautiful musicality to it, it lightens it up a bit. I also know supposedly that the album is actually sped up a little bit. Like he literally sped up the master just a touch or something, which is, I, I've never been able to verify that it was in a Clinton Halen book, whether that's true or not. I don't know. I've never heard any other alternate version, but the, the, as much as I love the lyrics of the song, it's the music that the band is playing. Yep. It makes this song so powerful. And so the fact that n- that was only done in the Minnesota attempts, none of the New York ones have it. I'm like, yeah, he totally picked the right one. Yeah, absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. And it's, it's just, I don't know. There's, there's so much more to it that when I listen to the other ones, I'm just, uh, I don't know. I don't enjoy it as much. Yeah. Now, live wise, uh, this did appear on the hard rain record mm-hmm. from 1976. And that's a very different sonic experience on that mm-hmm. record. I think mm-hmm. it was, I think it was, uh, uh, a frequent guest, Henry Bernstein that pointed out on our shelter from the storm episode where it occurred to him that these songs, these butt on the track songs, never got a chance to be played live the way they sound on the record because he never toured with this record. He, you know, it was another year and then he did Rolling Thunder and by then he had moved on to that kind of desire sound. Mm-hmm. And so these songs, as we hear them on Blood on the Tracks, really never, we, they, no one ever got to hear way. them live like that. Yeah. And so yeah. they're, they're all of a sudden, they're kind of a lot louder. He's kind of yelling it a little. Uh, the version on Hard Rain is like, you know, what he's like, oh, yeah. And he's like, ever since we've been apart, and the, the guitar, <laughs> bam, bam, like they're really leaning into it. And it, it kind of, it doesn't sound like a country song, but to me, the tone is a country song. Like it moves yes. away from melancholy and it, it's more of like a, you know, that, that, whatever that country song about, like my, my ex-wife left and she took my dog. I missed that dog <laughs> like that. You know, it's like that kind of tone where he's like, yes, it's more like, yeah, what are you going to do? You know, <laughs> exactly. Like it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. That's that dog sitting in the fire, you know, going, this is fine. Yeah. Everything's fine. <laughs> so, like, okay. So yeah, it's very, I can only imagine it, you know, in the, at the time. You're getting this record and you hear it and you're like, oh, my God, this is so brilliant. You're like, oh, he's got a live record. He's, oh, he's doing some Blood in the Track songs. And then you're like, wait, what? Like, what, <laughs> what am I hearing? What is this? Uh, you know, whew. now, uh, other than Hard Rain, it's been performed 212 times. The last time is 2007. So, oh. you know, he played it a lot in 76, 78. He did the Budokan tour. And then, of course, it was retired for uh, actually almost a whole decade. He played it in 78 and then not again until 87. And then it's appeared sporadically here and there. I went and listened to some live versions. Again, you can find them on YouTube. They're they're lyrically, they're pretty similar to what you hear. Mm-hmm. He, this is not a song that he really seems to, to change much as he plays it. Um, it's I like the live versions, but there's to me, none of them have this beautiful oral yeah. World that we're living in. And so it's to me, it's like, it's, it's, it need to be boring, but it's like, it's the album take. That's the one. It is. It, it, and I'm such a, I'm, 
I'm very finicky with live albums in general from everybody because I think I get such an emotional attachment to an album version, especially a song that I really decide that, that I like and that I identify with for whatever reason that when I start hearing too many live versions of it, I get, I don't know, I just get very picky. And that's just me being weird, but I just, this is, this is one of those where I'm just like, no, I don't like anything, but this one, this is the perfect one. <laughs> <laughs> now, as I mean, in your, in your, in your work, I imagine mm-hmm. you've listened to quite a few live albums from yeah, people, yeah, right? Yeah. Now, I, I, let me ask your opinion. This is not something we've really had a chance to talk to anybody with uh, on the show directly, but I feel like. Bob has mastered a lot in the world of music, right? Yeah. I do feel as though that he has not quite managed to create as good of a live album as we know that he is as a live performer. I feel like all his live albums have just something a little not quite as effective as what we know it, what, what he could be. Do you agree with that? I, to a, to a degree, I think that. And this live albums are such a thing with people in general. And I married a deadhead. So I I can, I can tell you some stuff about live albums, but um, it's, and people are very, very particular, you know, and Bob Dylan fans are the same. They like certain eras of his and they will, you know, give you very specific uh, references to, you know, when he did a song in a certain way, you know, at a certain point of his life and the way his voice was. And, and people are, are like that with, with live albums. They're, they're just very, they're very particular about a particular point in time. I think with a lot of, of artists, I don't know anybody who likes every live album that somebody's ever put out, especially if they have a lot. It's just mm. not, they're not like, oh, well, I love all live Dylan or I love, I love all the live dead. You know, like, mm-hmm. no, you oh, don't. Oh, man. Yeah. No, you don't. You don't. You like, you like this era. You like, you know, Europe 72. It's, you know, it's that kind of a thing, but it's the same with Bob Dylan. I just, I never found that I fell in love with any of his live albums. I like to watch, you know, the stuff that he's done, um, that he's put out. As far as, you know, cause there's more to it than just the sound of it. It's, it's the visual, but as far as live albums go, I, I just don't get into it. Yeah. I mean, I mean maybe that makes me a terrible journalist. Well, just, no, well, no. I, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, there's, there's bits and pieces, you know, like, yeah, there's one song here and there. I like the shelter from the yes. storm on hard rain is absolutely fantastic and I love yes. it. And the, again, you know, ironically enough, I'm mentioning all blood on the track songs, the, the rewritten, Blood on the track, uh, uh, time tangled up in blue from real live is one of mm-hmm. my favorite things I've ever heard him do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that is so fantastic. But I, I look at his live albums and I go, well, like, we've got before the flood and then hard rain and Buddha can and real live and MTV unplugged. And you're like, those are, I, again, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be uncharitable back, but it's like the guy is so as Pete Townsend said in an interview, quantum, he's so beyond, I think what hardly anyone else can do. The fact that there is not one, in my opinion, one absolute classic live album of him seems like a missed opportunity. And we know that, that, you know, Sony has recorded how many thousands of never ending tour shows at this point. It's not like they don't have the material to perm from. 
it just feels like ah, why why maybe why, it's a why, thing why? with him like does he not want to go through that and i mean i mean there's people that put out live albums and they're like oh yeah that was a good show the you know the soundboard recordings okay whatever clean it up and then they just kind of dump it out i just i don't feel like he's i don't know i can't i can't picture bob dylan going through his own live material and 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 i don't know picking and choosing you know what he would want to put out it's it's just an odd thought to me He's he's such an interesting person in that in the way that he has played stuff live throughout his entire career that I don't know if maybe he's just never captured himself the way he would want to put out the way that he can, you know, go through things in a studio. And that's why there's not like, you know, the quintessential Bob Dylan live album. Could be. It could be. There's it's it's become such a mountain to climb. Because yeah, there's so much. Yeah, that it just becomes like, oh, I don't know, you know, exactly. Like, I'm gonna go through seven thousand songs. I don't know. I kind of you know? feel like that would be his reaction too. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> That's up to do. Mumble you know? and mumble and walk away. You know. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I used to think that part of that was, oh, it's just impossible to capture on on tape what it's like to be in the room. You just can't do it. You got to be in the room. And that that's yeah. why it never quite works. But I don't even know if I, if I buy that because I've seen performances and heard performances of his live performances that I said, I think are, are some of the best things he's ever done. It's so I'm like, well, no, it's just a matter of perming through the material. And as you're saying, I never thought of it, that, but maybe that's what it is. It's just, well, where do you even start? Where yeah. do you even how, you'd have to you'd have to assemble a team of what? I mean, by the way, I volunteer for that duty. By the way, <laughs> Tony's listening. Same. I you know, I volunteer as tribute. I would absolutely be willing to spend thousands of hours of my life listening to Bob Dylan concerts and jotting down. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, that's a yeah. That was a really good version of that, or whatever. I know. I think mostly everybody listening to this would do the same thing. Exactly. It's kind of like it's kind of ironic. Go back to your with your husband with the Grateful Dead. It's like how the dead have out like outsourced. So many of their tape collecting to their fans, right? Don't they yeah. have like that? Don't they have like, I, I don't know. I, I forgot. We're getting off track, but forgive me this question. <laughs> are the dead still a thing? Like oh, the yeah. dead, they are. Are they still? Okay. They are. Okay. Forgive oh, me for not yeah. knowing that. Oh, no, I, no, I, that's okay. Listen, I didn't know any of this until I married into it. I okay. learned it was like learning a new language. I okay, had no right. idea. <laughs> okay. I knew that the dead had re had continued on past Garcia as the dead. I just didn't know if they were to this point still doing stuff. I mean, Jerry Garcia has been dead 30 years now, but I also well, had heard they did the dead and company stuff with John Mayer, okay. which I love. Okay. I think that was great. And then, you know, you know, Phil does stuff, uh, in his, on his own. And right. then, um, you know, they, they, they split off and do their stuff, but even just as a culture and, 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 and this this thing that exists of being a Grateful Dead fan, being a deadhead, like it's a thing that will never die because right. people love it. They just live in it. It's a, right. And it's it, beautiful. I had I had read years ago that they actually would devote a chunk of the floor of their concert to mm-hmm. record, to the tapist, to the taper, yep. so they could get good quality tapes. I thought that first of all, that's extraordinarily generous in, yes. in a lot of different ways, but that also. It's it's interesting because it kind of does outsource it to the fans. It's like, all right, let yep. the fans decide. You know, I can't imagine Bob ever do anything like that. But 
Or even know. if he did, having to have an opinion about it at mm-hmm. the end of the day. Like, yeah. I can't see him having to have an opinion about his show, you know? Like, I'm sure yeah. he critiques himself like crazy, but I can't I can't see him, you know, going through all of these recordings and being like, well, I, you know, I felt my best on that one. It's just- <laughs> yeah, I can't. Yeah, you're, I can't picture him saying that. <laughs> I don't think uh, he has the patience. Yeah, I will say this, and this is uh, this is now going to be recorded, and and when I'm wrong, people can point to this episode and laugh. You stupid idiot, <laughs> wrong. I feel like if there's any chance we're ever going to get another Dylan live album, it's going to be one based on the Rough and Rowdy Ways tour. I feel like the way that he's marketing it, you know, he never has ever done a tour that he's I named after a record. You know, he's never done that before. And this tour is so long. It's so specific. It's so heavily focused on this one record. I feel like that there at the end of it, what would be the ultimate way to commemorate four years of touring on a record to say, bang, now we've got the Rough and Ready Ways live album. Right. I agree. hundred percent. Okay. hundred percent. I actually had that when you started talking about, you know, live, live Dylan, I, I had that thought and, uh, you know, like most thoughts in my head, it, it popped and flew away but (laughs) i'm glad you brought it back around to that because i i agree oh good well then we can both be wrong when it doesn't happen i don't feel quite so stupid people can waggle their finger in my face and say i told you so but it's okay (laughs) absolutely i will i will own it all right cool i like that so (laughs) well okay that's you're a big girl now it's no surprise a complete masterpiece as is everything on this record this record is so good it's just completely staggering and it was a real joy despite how sad this song is uh although of course now you've offered me another version that i never really heard before so that's kind of fun but i was out there walking my dog all day listening to version after version of you're a big girl now (laughs) it's surreal trying to get her to you know, stay on the grass while I'm sitting here listening to this guy moan about his related corkscrews in his heart. But, uh, <laughs> it's a, you know, I'm fine. I'm so glad we finally got a chance to do it. And I'm really glad that you got to come back on the show. It's been, uh, I, I've had so much fun talking to you offline and on the other episodes. So thank you so much for doing this again. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. So we have to ask you the exit question that I've been doing lately, which is, because I don't think I had this one when you were on the show last. I'll ask you the one I've been doing for a little while, which is if there is any recording session, anything, a record, his audio books, his theme time radio hour, anything that you could sit in on, you're not going to participate, but you are just some, you've got, you've been given a chair and you're going to sit and watch this thing get recorded of anything from Bob's career. What would it be? Wow, that's tough. Because when I went in that situation, I would have wanted to sit in with him early when he was still kind of figuring out what he was doing when he was just very folky and, and, you know, digging into that whole scene. I, I think I really would have liked to be around for that. Everything I read when I read about him during that time is he's, you know, it's just, well, that time was just cool in a, in a cool place. Um, so I think I would want to be a fly on the wall and just hear those conversations. There was one I saw, it was like when he, I don't know if he had just met Donovan, but he had met Donovan recently and was sitting on the floor with Donovan while he was singing a song and Bob's reaction was like he was smiling and he was so into what Donovan was putting out. And that's, I don't know, it was just, it's a cool time 
for him and where his head was at. And maybe he thought he was really cool, whatever. But I, I would have liked to have been there for any of that, anything from that time. Interesting. Okay. So not a particular record. No. Or anything no, like that. Just, just, okay. just early, like village freewheeling Bob Dylan walking down the street in the snow, you know, kind of that, that vibe, that early vibe. I, gotcha. I really, really dig that. I would have wanted to be there for that. You would want to insert yourself into like inside Will and Davis, like that whole world. Just that kind, kind of, of yeah, yeah. Not <laughs> even just not to be a part of it. I just want to watch. Right, right, right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, well, again, Amanda, thank you so much for doing this. Why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? I have a blog called A Perfect Mess. It is a perfect mess. Did I just mess up my own thing? I did. <laughs> a perfect mess blog dot com, uh, is the blog and it's, it's picking up a little bit of steam. So go check it out. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much for listening. Of course, you can find this show on our new home, which is fmpods.com. You can find us over on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan, and you can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. So thanks so much for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. Bye. One of the things I like about your work is that even when you're feeling bad, it isn't self-pity bad. It's just, I don't feel good. Mm-hmm. Even when you're feeling down, you feel up. Well, you're feeling something, and that's the positive, as opposed to uh, feeling destroyed by it.